everybody, and welcome to the 52 Weeks of Sheep podcast, the companion podcast to the 52 Weeks of Sheep group on Facebook. My name is Tammy, and we've got Allie here with us. Hello, guys. And as a special guest, we also have Stacy Dresel from Dresel Family Farms. Hello. Hi, Stacy. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're so excited you're here. Of course. I um, I appreciate you guys asking me to participate, so I'm looking forward to this. I love chatting with you every year on the festival circuit, so this is just going to be an added bonus and lots of fun. I know. It's almost like we'll be together, but not quite. Yeah, sort of. Sort of. And Allie, I think, is going to be able to meet you this year at Copper K. Yay! Yeah, I I've been there for three or four years, but I've not met you. So this will be exciting. Good. Well, I, I, um, I look forward to it. I'm always like in the, in the first row, right. When you walk in. So this year you'll have to look. Okay. I will. <laughs> yeah. You're usually outside. Aren't you Stacy? Yeah. I like, I like being outside barefoot in the grass. I love that grass. The best, best, best grass to set your feet in. Yes, and then we've camped together there as well. Yes, camping is also a lot of fun there. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that's not fun there. It is. I'm trying to talk Allie into camping with Said I don't think there's anything that's not fun there, right? I don't. The showers, the vendors, the classes, the the everything is just super fun at Copper K. So if you haven't been to Copper K, you, you'll hear it talked about several times throughout this podcast year. As you recall, that's where Ali and I met as well. Yep. She was my teacher. <laughs> and we're still teaching each other all the way. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, so this week we're talking about Cormo sheep, and I have to say Cormo is one of the breeds that I I think I love it because it combines two of my favorite breeds of sheep. Corydale and Merino. Yeah, I do. I've said often if I didn't have the flock I had, I would probably have a Corydale flock. I love them. Yeah. I love spinning Merino, and then... All of the fiber I have purchased from you, Stacy, is it's dreamy. That's a very good way to describe it. I I love the Cormo fiber. I just think it it is just dreamy. It's just so soft and just like touching it, like your hand, like your whole body just relaxes. I don't know how to explain it more than that, but it, it just like melts in your hand and it's so soft and you can wear it against your body and not have another layer. And it just drapes really nicely. The sheep themselves are, I mean, wonderful to work with. I've had a few different breeds here, all, you know, super fine to fine to the lower and the medium. And Cormo is always my most docile breed that I have here, I'm going to say. That's interesting. What other breeds have you had there? I've had Merino, uh, Corydale, CBM, um, some bond crosses, and then like mixed, you know, crosses of all of those sheep. Um, a lot of the fleeces that I sell will be like Cormo, Corydale cross or Cormo, CBM cross, Cormo Merino, you know, bred back to Merino crosses. 
and then all my yarn, um, everything that I dye is just the purebred Cormo, and then uh, the natural colors are usually just the purebred Cormo, um, and then I will have like a marl yarn in various weights, and that is usually my Cormo crossed to CBM, um, and those are the like brown and white mix yarns that I have. Cool. Who is Sven? Sven? Sven is my buddy. Uh, Sven was born here, I'm going to say 2017. Um, He is one of my bigger Cormo weathers. Um, He is super affectionate. Um, He walks up to me almost every day to get like a little chin scratch and his butt scratched and his tail just wags like a dog. Um, I love him. He's a color Cormo with some uh, white spots and um, I like using his fiber for the pin drafted roving that I sell. Um, so Sometimes I mix him with his half-brother, Duda, who is similar in color. Um, And sometimes it's just straight Sven. He's also kind of a dork. Like, I've caught him a couple times. If I leave a five-gallon bucket in the pasture because I get distracted, I will find it, like, he'll be wearing it on his head. I have a couple pictures of that from a few years ago, but he kind of seems to get into a little mischief, too, so... (laughs) he's a character and he's very friendly and he has very nice fiber. So, um, he's just a good guy. He's a good boy. Yeah. The reason I ask is that I have this bundle. I want to say it's a four ounce, four ounces of fiber. And the wrapper says compliments of Sven. Yes. I like putting every, everybody here has a name. So, I put everybody's name on my labels and sometimes it could be a single sheep or sometimes it could be a grouping that I choose um, to create a yarn or the pin drafted roving. Um, So I always have everybody's name on there. So, and I try to be continuous uh, or sorry, consistent year after year so that like, you know, I, I will use Sven for the pin drafted roving because he has like a little sand club and people love his stuff. And I'll use, you know, tubs in the worsted weight and with his little group um, and Louie and Bug are in the fingering weight. So it just depends. And I may, you know, add a couple other sheep in there with them, depending um like the fleece weights or what I'm, how many shows I'm going to go to just so I have enough product for the year, um, you know, from the mill. Cause I just send all my Cormo in once a year uh, after shearing um, for yarn production and, and get that back. And then whatever I have for the year is, is what I use for all the shows um, and all the dyeing and everything. That's pretty exciting. Do you, um, do you all natural dyeing? Yes. Yes. Um, I just use what I grow on the farm out of the garden. Um, I grow indigo, rutabecchia, cosmos, 
uh, marigold, a couple others. Um, and then I forage a lot what's growing on our farm. So I like using uh, curly dock a lot. You can use that entire plant. Um, different berries, you know, leaves, bark. Um, you know, it just depends the time of the year. Sometimes I I collect everything and I can't use it until, you know, the following year because I've already done like dyno my yarn for the season. And then I also do food waste. I have an awesome sister-in-law who loves avocados. Uh, so she and I uh, contribute to the blush pinks with all of the avocado picks and skins. Um, but I just like using all natural dyes and like just local to me. I don't buy any dyes whatsoever. I used to uh, purchase some cochineal, but then I'm like, okay, I love my hot pink, but I, I, I intentionally just want to keep the sheep and the, and the colors off, you know, from the same soil. I find it fascinating that avocados wouldn't give you green. That they don't, that they give the blush pink. Yeah. And depending on the heat, you know, you can get like a pale orange or a blush pink or a dusty rose, um, you know, just by adjusting the heat. And then if you add, you know, like you can do like baking soda or other things to change the pH and you can get different colors too, um, or iron and you can get like lilac grays. So, you know, you don't, you can just take like one color and you can make so many variations from that one color just by adjusting it. That is really awesome. Have you tried zinnias, the flower? I have. Uh, I did. A couple years ago, um, I got a really nice, like, greeny gold color. Oh, wow. And I had just taken, I forget what color they, they were to begin with, but it, I think they were pinks and greens. And I just ended up with this really cool color. But I haven't grown them since, so... Yeah, they're one of my favorite ones just to throw and let um, let nature take its course. And so that would be a really fun project to try out. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that give color and there's so many plants, you know, that I forage that are like not only for natural dye color, you know, but you can also use them medicinally, too. So it's just kind of a, like a weird, not a weird, but just the whole connection that like plants that people consider to be weeds really you know yeah they're not green grass that you purchase at a store they're a weed but really they're so much they have so much to you know more to give than than uh people give you know than just calling them quote a weed so i guess if you don't want them there they're a weed yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah i i have not dived down that rabbit hole yet but now I know who I should reach out to when I'm ready. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. I mean, it's just like a lot of experimentation too. So I don't get really disappointed if a color didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, because I've always find that there's somebody out there that liked it, <laughs> you know, and you can't really control like, you know, what mother nature gives you. 
because every year it's going to be different based on rain or when you pick the plant, you know, or your, you know, your ratios of the, of the plant to your yarn weight and everything like that. That, that all, you know, the color that you get, it all depends on that. I'm going to say I'm pretty loose with my dyeing. I don't really weigh stuff out or anything. I just kind of go and have fun and uh, enjoy it what I do you know yeah that's fun yeah I think that's really important to be able to just have fun with it um I know that there are those folks probably listening to the podcast to measure everything exactly and know you know especially with those acid dyes you, you I mean if you want repeatability you have to be really precise and know exactly what you're doing and weigh everything out but I think there's something fun about not doing all of that. Yeah. And I just enjoy it because it's always kind of like, you know, it is, it is what it is. It's, you know, my feeling is, is you're just picking what's in front of you or growing everything yourself. And it's not like a powder, you know, where you can order from dye companies and you're measuring and weighing and everything. I don't think that you can, repeat exactly what what I've gotten the year before you know you can come close but you can't match it they're all just like one of the kind you know batches of 10 or 12 stains in that color yeah but there's something to be said for that I think mm-hmm. yeah that's nice it benefits you you know if you you can always say you know this is all I have of this color so if you want it and you like it then it's you've got to take it all yeah <laughs> exactly and I've had some people like call me like they wanted to match something from a year before. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I have something similar, you know, but um, it's not going to be exact. Yeah. So I don't think anybody's gotten really super upset. upset. I think they just, they just kind of know they accept it. You yeah. Know? I think that, well, and you, I mean, you say right up front that, that that's the way it is. I've heard you say that at shows. Yeah. And I've had, you know, I've done some custom dyeing for people too. And they're like, you know, I want it to look like this. And I'm like, well, it will look similar and I will use the same, you know, flowers or, or plants for you, but it is going to be different, but it'll be close, you know, and haven't had a, I think people just appreciate it. So it's so far, it hasn't been a problem being a natural dyer that, you know, I think people appreciate that because I don't know I always say it's just like a gift from nature you know exactly and then you're not using all the chemicals so it's as natural as it gets yeah I do use a alum mordant until I have um, rhubarb leaves ready and then as soon as those are in season then I switch to that as one of my mordants and then I just use the rhubarb leaves until I don't have any left and then I go back to alum so I try to make it you know even the mordant from the farm but I'm going to have to expand my rhubarb garden I guess or my rhubarb planting or something eventually if I want to do just you know 100% from the farm that is really cool so do you have to soak the rhubarb leaves yeah you you know like make a tea with the rhubarb leaves and it creates a you know a toxic acid so I do it outside I do it on a day when there's not a lot of wind um gloves masks long sleeves the whole nine yards um because it does create a pretty toxic mordant and you have to handle it 
carefully, but yeah, it does create a very nice morning. It gives the yarn um, a little bit of color, but it does receive the dye colors really nicely then. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, I would suggest anybody that wants to try that to really read up on it before you do it. Yeah. How did you learn all of this? I read Jenny Dean's book, Wild Color. Look stuff online, look up stuff online. Um, read about just like natural dyes that have the U.S. Forest Service also has. You have to really dig deep, but they have some information on natural dyes. And I guess just reading a lot and experimenting and just trying stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's right now I am, I don't remember the name of it, but I am terrible at remembering like the Latin names for mushrooms and everything. And I, and I've done some dyeing just with like generic, you know, the puffball mushrooms and gotten some nice color. Oh, that's fun. But there are so many mushrooms out there. And I bought a book on that now. Um, I don't know if I'll really be able to identify every, everything that I, would like to eventually it will like stick in my brain but right now I just started reading a book about mushroom dyeing yeah that sounds really cool yeah yeah now I just got now I just have to train my brain to remember all the names (laughs) I know I hear you I'm in that same boat I actually have to take pictures of stuff periodically just so that I can I'm like even if I write it down sometimes it doesn't stick but so no judgment here (laughs) nope not from this end either (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Good. Good. Yeah. There is no judgment. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about your sheep. I love that you're talking about your farm and, you know, how everything is sort of connected mm-hmm. between, you know, foraging and planting things and the sheep. How many sheep do you have? Um, I have about 50 breeding ewes. And then it just kind of depends how many lambs are here, like who I breed that year. I do keep weathers. I have some rams here. So my numbers right, like this specific day are probably in the high 80s, but that can fluctuate. You know, I am on 80 acres over here, but we have a lot of water at our farm. We have like four ponds and a creek. Um, so the water takes up a lot of the land. So there's just like a lot of natural areas here. So it's not like, you know, all pasture and all hayfield. So I, with the droughts that we've had the last three years, last year being a severe drought, I really have to, you know, watch my numbers. Uh, this year we had to buy hay instead of putting up our own uh, for the sheep. So I probably, you know, I'm not going to be breeding like all of my ewes at once for a while, just because I'm trying to make it, you know, I don't want a ton of expenses going out. I don't want to have to raise my yarn prices, you know, without hurting my yarn business or the fleece business, you know, that, cause that's what feeds all the animals and takes care of all the expenses is what I, what I sell. What you sell in fleece and yarn. Yep. Yeah. I try to, you know, make it a sustainable business. So what, what I put in gets paid for, but 
by what I put out. And then when I have those extra expenses of having to buy, you know, bales to feed them throughout the winter, and, uh, you know, as opposed to us putting the hay up here on the farm, you know, it just makes it a little bit more expensive and, you know, to, to raise the animals. So because of that, well, here's a good story. Um, I only wanted to breed like 11 of my favorite girls this past fall, but my husband, you know, I talk a lot. So he probably wasn't fully, I know he wasn't fully listening to me because he brought the ram to the wrong pasture and he put the ram in with the girls that I did not want to breed. <laughs> so, um, oh, no. <laughs> so we got him out of there the following day and uh, put him in with the breeding breeding uh, group that I wanted and tended, but I am finding I thought that I was kind of free and clear, no bonus babies, but uh, during shearing this weekend, we did like a small group of the intentional breeding group and then one of the girls from that other pasture and she was pregnant. So now I have, I know I have one you that I'm going to have bonus babies and, you know, just doing morning checks on everybody. There seems to be about three or four more that appear to be pregnant as well. So we'll see. Within the next couple of weeks, I'll know how many for sure pregnant ewes I have. I did not do ultrasounds this year, so it'll be a fun surprise. I always call them the good farm accidents. When do you lamb? Scheduled like the exact due date is around February, it's February 2nd and 3rd. And so it could be a few days before that and then anything after that for about three weeks. But Looking at the ones that we shared this weekend, we just did the uh, 14 of them, and there will be a few that will, I'm sure, will go exactly on that date, and then a few to follow after. So how do your lambs do? Because you're still in winter in February. How do they do Mm -hmm. um, lambing and surviving the cold? Honestly, they do fine. I bring them in. When I see that they are going to be lambing, once in a while I'll miss one and there'll be one that's born outside. But if they're dried off and everything seem to be doing well, I'll still bring them in even though they look great. I just want to make sure like if it's a first time mom that they bond and I'll bring them in the barn for like three to four days so that I know that there's a a strong bond with the first time moms. If my older youth have them outside, like I, I miss the signs of them going into labor and they're doing fine outside, I just leave them. Yeah. Um, if it's super, the window, super, super cold, I will bring in the ones that I think are going to, that are going to lay them. I'll bring them in the barn just to avoid that windbreak and everything, to avoid the that wind chill and give them, you know? Yeah. How many lambs does I usually have? One to two, I've only had triplets, I think three times, about three times. Okay. I don't, I don't flush my sheep. A lot of people do that. That's where they give them additional calorie intake uh, before breeding. If I see that my, my ewes are in good condition, I, I don't do that. I, you know, 
the whole natural thing again. Well, what I consider natural again is they will give me what they can give me. Yeah. And even though this is my business, I'm not like, oh, I need two out of every you so I can make that, you know, mm-hmm. profit. You know, I don't sell breeding stock or anything. I'm happy with a healthy, a single healthy big lamb. Right. You know, as opposed to a twins with a big twin and a, you know, a big one and the little one or, you know, unequal sizes, et cetera, et cetera. So it, to me, it's not quantity, it's quality. Yeah. And there are shepherds out there and they have a whole system down where it works for them to flush them, have no problems, you know, with lamb size or anything like that. But I just, I don't go into that part of, you know, raising the sheep. So if you have triplets, do you usually have to bottle feed one? In the past, yes, that's what I did. I took the biggest one and would bottle feed that one and the two smaller ones nursed off the mom. Yeah. And uh, actually one of the oldest, one of the oldest sheep that I have on the farm tubs, he was from my first set of triplets. Oh, fun. Yeah. And I remember they were born during a huge like blizzard and they were in the barn, but it was still like too cold and the mom rejected all of them. So I had (laughs) a dog crate, you know, kennel with three lambs in the living room for like three weeks. (laughs) Kids always love that. Right. Yeah. So that, that was fun. They 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 uh did not appreciate like the first couple well the first week where they were getting up like every four hours to eat, you know. Oh that's true. And I'm like, Hey, I did it was with you. When you were a baby, this is what happened. It's okay. <laughs> that's Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I have to say, watching your kids or at least two of them grow up, you know, we met at Copper K. Was that, it was seven years ago, wasn't it? This year would be seven years? Yeah. Yeah, is it seven or eight? Seven? I thought it was seven. It could be eight. I don't know. But we met there. At any rate, I remember your girls being little, and now they're both taller than I am. And me. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. One's graduating high school, and one's a sophomore in high school now. So. Yeah, they started when they were little. Tell them to stop. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, they started out hiding under the tables. They did. I remember it. <laughs> Without. <laughs> yeah, and they would just hang out there and play. Yeah, not anymore. Now they wander. And then run around and find friends. Yeah, now they wander. Now they like driving around and checking stuff out. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And now how many, how many colors of sheep, natural colors of sheep do you have now? Well, we have the white and then there's more of like a reddish brown, like the moret and then like a rose gray. So that brown with, with gray. And then I do have just two guys that are gray, Sosa and Johnny Hummel. And they... They're, I don't know why it's just those two, but they're not related, different rams. So whatever combination of breeding, that's just what happened. And I'm happy, very happy with it. <laughs> so, yeah, 
you know, the, there's those, some of the, the rose gray ones as they age, they're becoming grayer. But then, you know, with the color cheap, you have to look as they age, their, their fiber can also become more coarse. So I test all the fleeces every year at the Montana Wool Lab and just kind of make sure, especially my colored sheep, that their micron counts are still staying low and their their comfort is still staying high and that it's still like a quality fleece, even though they're changing all these cool colors. Now, when you, when you send it to the Montana Wool Lab, what, you know, I know, I know what the standard is for Cormo sheep. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody raises their sheep just a little bit differently what what consistently are you looking for in your fleece or or in your wool micron count in the high teens comfort of like 95 or higher 98 100 and just you know obviously the strength good crimp you know tons and tons and tons of crimp and then obviously if I'm doing a fleece sale. All every, all my sheep are coated. The lambs, I go kind of back and forth if I coat the lambs. This year, I did a handful of them. Um, you know, a handful that had their their coats on. You know, from probably six months up, and then some just from like nine months up. But just like the cleanliness and and everything. And I when I first started, I didn't coat my fleeces. And it's just such a benefit. It's a lot more labor intensive and, you know, there are expenses associated with it because each sheep's going to go through four to five coats every year, but you just get such a cleaner fleece and less loss, you know, when you, when you have it processed into yarn. So it, to me, that's, it's worth that effort to, to keep them that clean. Um, I didn't. As a hand. Center, I can tell you that it is worth it for me mm-hmm. to pay the extra money to not have to do all of the excess work. So I know, you know, the excess work is going to come on somebody's watch, so to speak. So when you're coding them, that extra work comes on your watch by changing those coats and monitoring everything. Now, if and it makes it less work for the hand, you know, the home or the hand processor who's buying fleece and then spinning it. But right. by the same token, the ones that aren't coded, yeah, it's less work on the front end for the the shepherd or the person who raises the sheep. But on the back end for the person who bought this fleece, if there's, you know, any type of vegetable matter in it, it, it takes longer and right. I know with coated fleeces, all I have to do is wash them. And I so appreciate it. It's it's worth it to me. Right. I've had a lot of customers who just spin it in the grease. They're like, I don't even need to wash it, you know? So oh, I, wow. I take that as a huge compliment when people are like, it is so clean. I just spun it in the grease. <laughs> so, you know, all that extra stuff, um, all that extra work when you hear that from your customers, uh, makes it worth it, you know, cause then, you know, you're, you're doing it and somebody appreciates it, you know, cause as like a small producer, when you hear back from your customers, um, or they like, you see them at a fiber festival and they come back and show you what they made, or they even make you something, or they write a review on the website. I mean, that's, 
so huge to set for customers to, to support the small, you know, the small fiber farms and small producers, you know, helps what keeps, keeps that effort going, you know, to, to do everything that you possibly can, you know, for the sheep and for your business. Yeah, absolutely. I think I do. I think it's wonderful. And, you know, when you talk about 80 sheep, to me, that doesn't sounds small. My flock at one time was at 12, I think. And that to me was small. 80 was big. But when you compare uh-huh. yours to somebody who's, you know, like Heli Rambolet here in Montana, where they run thousands of sheep. Right. Yeah. I still consider it small. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, there's not thousands there. Yeah, I know. I I think that would be fun, but I think, you know, I don't think one, I could come up with a thousand names and two, you would definitely like, I would lose my relationship, you know, with the sheep, which I feel like I I have with my flock. There's those that, you know, come up in the morning and check in and the ones that like to be scratched, the ones that are more affectionate when they're pregnant, you know, like Sven, who's curious and tubs who still you know comes up for scratches and all all that kind of stuff but probably if I had the land to have that many you never know I I would never say never right how did you choose the Cormo breed of sheep you know I'm going to be honest it wasn't me it was my husband he grew up going to his uncle's sheep farm but it was a meat breed uh Suffolk so he remembers like driving up his uncle's long driveway and having pastures on either side and just seeing all these sheep, you know, eating. And he just loved that as a kid. So he was like, let's get sheep. My uncle John raised sheep. And I'm like, and I was like, oh my God, because I had like four little kids, right? Six and under. And we had uh, Hereford cattle and like chickens <laughs> and probably a handful of pigs and cats and the dogs. And I'm like, you want sheep, you figure out what you want, you know? And he's the one who came up with Cormo. And because, you know, I said, well, if we do sheep, the only thing I said is I want it dual purpose. So I want it to have really nice wool. And if it doesn't work out, we can eat them and they would taste good, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... He found Cormo sheep as a breed, but then it took a very long time to find somebody who would sell them or to find like a breeder. So that probably took a year. And then we ended up, you know, my first three sheep were just three ewes that a person who was raising Cormo was, you know, willing to get rid of, I'm going to say. And they weren't, you know, like the top Cormo out of her flock. They just like needed new homes. But I think that was a really good experience because then I got to decide, you know, were these the sheep that fit our farm and our lifestyle? And did I like them? And was it hard to find somebody to shear them? You know, all that other stuff that comes along with it. No fiber arts? Where Do you spin and um, all the others? No. Okay, so that came after the that came after the sheep. Oh, fun. Yeah. So, yeah, because, you know, you have sheep and they're all cute and everything. And then you're like, well, if they're not meat, 
and I'm going to keep doing this. You know, if they're not going to the sale barn, we, you have to find a shearer and you need your shelter year round and, you know, all that other stuff. So, but it worked out the first year. And then we found a breeder in Montana and came up to Montana and bought a breeding trio. Who was that breeder in Montana? Becky McEwen. I believe it's called Running Alpacas Ranch. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And there you have it. So how many is, so you have sheep Do Mm -hmm. do you, and you still raise other animals on the farm? Yep. We have a small herd of Hereford cattle, lane hens, Idaho pasture pigs. What else do we have? We have one pet rabbit now. We're down to five dogs, one barn cat. I think I covered everyone. If not, my someone will let me know that I forgot something. <laughs> yeah. One of those dogs came from Montana. Yeah. Sadie. Sadie, Tammy, Betty, Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> Say little did you know you'd, you'd have a dog named after you. I, yeah, I did. I had no idea I was going to have a dog named after me. And if I remember correctly, it was because you guys were camping in Lincoln mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and found, and somebody was giving away puppies or selling puppies here. Yep. Giving away at the flea market, which was next to the, where we camped at the park. That's right. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm always bummed because I miss that flea market every year because I'm at Copper K. So you must have come over and they were still cleaning up and have them or something. Yeah. It was like the morning that we were packing up and all of a sudden I'm like, well, we got to stop at the flea market before we, before we drive down. So we did and came home with a puppy. Well, you guys call her Sadie, but yes, I do remember the long name, including my hometown and my name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of funny. A flea market. Don't really want fleas for your dog, but um, isn't that funny? It's kind of a play on words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what festivals are you going to be at this year, Stacey? Um, let's see. There is, I start out with something for the Des Moines Knitters Guild at the end of February and then Shepherd's Market in Iowa City and Fiberpalooza in Winterset, Iowa in March. And then in April, the Midwest, I want to say Fiber Arts Festival in St. Louis at the end of the month. And then I'm Copper K in July. Fiber Arts Festival in Fargo. I do a Fiber Arts Festival up in northern Minnesota in Park Rapids with the sustainable sheep community that I belong to up there. North Country Fiber Fair in Watertown, South Dakota. Uh, The Minnesota Wool Festival in Cambridge, Minnesota. Fall Fiber Festival in Hopkins. And there is a Fiber Festival in Wadesboro, North Carolina. I'm going to Try to go back to that one this year, but I'm not sure if it's going to work out this year. And if not, I'll do it next year. Um, that's in September. And I think by November, I, I pretty much slow down after Hopkins. Oh, Threads and Fiber Festival in Iowa. That's at the end of November. That's in Des Moines. I don't think I forgot anybody. Are you doing Are you doing Grazing Hills this year? I am not going to. I am just going to keep Copper K, just kind of zoom out there and come back this year instead of extending out to grazing hills. Although it sounds really nice because it's indoors with air conditioning. And I think it'll be a nice show. I just won't be able to attend to it 
attend it this year. Well, hopefully it keeps going. I know they really want to do bring it back and make it work there at the fairgrounds. Yeah. Are you doing that one this year? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Are you going to be teaching there? Yep. I'll be teaching and vending. Right. Nice. Yeah. And then I'll be back and I did get accepted to Michigan Fiber Festival. So I'll be back in Michigan in August. Oh, so you know where you can stay, right? I do. And I'm excited because I was just going to say when you were talking about all the sheep coming up and wanting to be scratched, I want to do a camp out at Stacy's farm for a week. <laughs> there you go. I'll live vicariously through you and your sheep because I only have the one left now. Oh, really? Yeah, we had we had some issues and um, predator attack at a ranch. And then uh, my oldest one who wasn't supposed to get bred, she uh, mistakenly got bred at nine years old. And yeah. she always threw twins and triplets. And I think this one was a, just a really big single lamb and she died during, you know, she wasn't able to give birth this year. Yeah. So we just, that's so hard. It is really hard. So I have my first one. Stormy was my first that I bought for $5 and a jar of jam. Yeah. And he's now my last, he's almost 11. Yeah. A jar of peach jam. Very nice. Bartering works, right? Yeah, <laughs> it totally works. Well, Stacy, I want to thank you so much. Allie, do you have other questions for Stacy before we let her go? I don't, but I'm in love with these sheep. So I might have to come visit. Excellent. Well, I have lots. I have to road trip it with me. There you go. I have lots of pictures of them and like little stories about what happens on the farm on uh, Instagram. And then that also loads to my Facebook page too. So if you want to see pictures of the sheep there, they're there. And, and then I also have a, a website and, and all three of those are under Drazo Family Farm. I was pronouncing it wrong. Sorry about that. Oh no, it, it's fine. As long as you don't call me like Stephanie, Stephanie or Tracy, I don't mind if the last name is a little different. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're Stacy. I will always know you as Stacy. And what I'll do, guys, is I will drop in the show notes. I will drop um I'll drop Stacy's Instagram, Facebook, and the website. So you guys will all have that. Please go check out the website, check out all her stuff. I will have pictures during the week that we um, we're doing a little bit of pre-recording, but when we go ahead and do this, I will be spinning Sven and I will make sure to post photos. Oh, awesome. I'm so excited. Thank you again for joining us, taking time out of your chores and the farm and the schedule. I cannot wait to see you in July. I'm looking forward to that. And I totally appreciate it. Appreciate you guys asking me to participate. This is really nice. So thank you. You're welcome. So you can find Allie at Curly U Farms. We'll drop that in the show notes. You can find me on Instagram at MT. You can find me on the website at goldieknotsmt.com and on Facebook at Knots Montana. Thanks everyone for joining in. Thanks, Stacy. Thanks, Allie. And we will see you next time. As always, happy spinning, guys.